0: I thought it was sort of a graduation kind of year, era, time in the year, and some thoughts about graduates. I think we all assume that life has a target. There's something we're aiming for as we live life, as we grow up. There's something out there that that's what we're working towards, heading for. Oftentimes we call it success. He's successful. She's had a successful life. And it's almost like an assumption that, well, well, of course that's there. And of course that's what we're headed for. But today I'd like to ask the question, what does that mean? In the sense of what is that success? What is that target we're all aiming for? Because in a sense, I think... A hundred years ago, everybody was pretty clear on what that target looked like. I'm not so sure anymore we are. That we understand what is the goal of life, what are we aiming for. In a sense, what is success? I think we pick up through the media, through our culture, lots of answers about that. Success is wealth. Or success is being popular and, and almost a superstar. How many friends do I have? It's power. Or it's beauty. Or it's fame. And that has become the target that a lot of people are aiming for. A lot of young people are graduating or studying to prepare for. And so if that's the focus, then We pay attention to test scores. Or we work at athletic success year round, even as small children, because that's what will bring success. And we look for a career based on what's the highest income. Or we make sure our physical appearance remains as attractive as it can be, because that's success. And we want to please the people around us so we remain popular. But the question I want to ask today is that all of these targets that our culture is saying, that's what it is, that's what you want to aim for, the question I think we need to step back and ask and say, well, does it work? If that's the target, if that's how we define success, if we get there, are we going to find happiness? Are we going to find a, a meaningful life? Are we going to find a life that, When it's over, and maybe we have a few seconds at least before we we pass, we're going to say, I'm glad I lived the way I did. Is that what these will lead to? Or could we be aiming for a target that won't even get us to where we want to be? In the sense, a happy, meaningful life. It's been a tough question that people have asked throughout, throughout history. It's a question that Jesus talks about. And in fact, Jesus actually gives us a warning that says, make sure you're not aiming at the wrong target. So that if you spend all your time trying to hit that target, and even if you hit it, bullseye, you're going to end up saying, but wait a minute, it didn't get me what I wanted. Turn over to Luke 12. It's a story I'm sure you've heard, but it's such a powerful point that Jesus makes here. A a word of warning about choosing our target for our life and how important it is to pick the right target. I want to begin in verse 15 of Luke 12. Then Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus' warning, the one with the most toys may not win. Our verbiage. So then he told them this parable to make his point. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what am I going to do? I don't have any place to store all my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But then God said to him, You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The warning of Jesus is, be careful you don't spend your life aiming for a target that doesn't work. It doesn't give you a meaningful life. It doesn't give you security. In fact, when your life is over, it's all gone. And everything that you worked so hard for, it really didn't matter. In fact, the only thing that's going to happen is a whole bunch of other people are going to sit around and enjoy everything you accumulated. What a warning from Jesus. And I think we're seeing that warning play out in all kinds of lives. People who achieve extreme success and yet their life is miserable. People who are famous and yet feel unloved and take their own life. Athletes with incredible income and fame and athletic sponsorship contracts. And yet addiction and all kinds of other living destroys their lives. They've achieved that target. They've hit the target. Our world says that's what will give you a meaningful life. But it hasn't. And Jesus says, be careful what you're aiming for. Because you could be aiming for the wrong target, and you'll even hit it. And it won't give you what you're looking for. What I'd like to do today is think about a better definition of success. A target that we can aim for with a confidence that if we aim for it, And we hit it, we will find what we're looking for. We will find a life that I will say is happy. That doesn't mean everything goes well. But when the day is over to say, I've had a good life. I'm glad I've had this life. On most days, I've enjoyed the life that I've lived. Despite some problems, some storms. What does that look like? Well, I put together sort of, I think these are called world, word clouds. I just want to throw out some different words that I think define true success. A meaningful life. A life that we can say, yeah, that's it. There is a sense of well-being, even when things, bad things happen it's going to be okay that kind of sense that peace a life where we find meaning my life matters there's a purpose to my life what i'm doing i found that kind of thing i've had relationships that have filled my life and enriched my life sure those relationships at times have had some roller coaster moments And have brought some tears and some pain, of course, relationships do. But when it's all said and done, God's blessed me with relationships that have made a difference in my life. I've had a sense of right and wrong and values to guide my life. I've not been wondering every day what's important or or which direction should I go. I've had a compass in life. And that's made all the difference. I've been, I've been able to stop and enjoy life. I've had moments of saying, "Look at that beauty. Look at that beauty God has created or look at this moment that we've had to enjoy or just watch all this family together for a whole day. I've had those moments and I've enjoyed them. I've had a good life. That's success. Like Russ was saying in the communion meditation, I've had a life that's had an anchor. It's not that I've avoided all the storms, but I've had a life where when the storms have come, I've had something to hold on to. And I've been able to chart those storms and go through those storms and come out the other side and see the sun again. And the truth is, those storms have even helped me appreciate the sun. I'm sort of glad they were there. And there is a sense of security when it's all said and done. Not that we never get afraid. But there is a peace that it's going to be okay. There's a dawn coming. It's going to be okay. Now what I would like to propose to you is how much money I make, or my test scores, or my athletic ability, all of those values that people are so focused on today have nothing to do with that list. Have nothing to do with those. And if you're like me, some of the poorest people I've ever known have the most words like that in their lives. Some of the people who work at the most, what we would call menial jobs, low down the corporate ladder, may have some of the most of those words in their lives. That what our world is saying, aim for this target, is not guaranteed to get us there. But what I would propose to you is that here is what we would call a meaningful life a life of happiness. So the question becomes, how do we find that fulfilled life, I'll call it? What does lead to that success? What do we need to be teaching and preparing our children with? What do we need to be focused on so our children see in us, it's our priority. It's what imp- what's important to us. I'd like to go to another passage to find the answer to that. It's in one of the prophets called Micah. In chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. And it starts with a question. With what am I going to come to God? And and the question is really, what's going to impress God? What's What's going to cause God to say, wow, look at you. I'm glad you're here. So let's read what Micah says. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Now, stop there for just a second. What Micah has just done is listed some of the top sacrifices people brought to their God. And not just Jehovah, all the gods. And that was sort of the standard. Well, this is what will impress God. And Micah's saying, honestly, this isn't how God defines success. What's going to impress God? Now he goes one more step Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? I'll stop for one more second because this is one that's like, what? But you have to understand Micah lived in a day where child sacrifice was not unusual at all, not to Jehovah. But the other gods around them, Israel, child sacrifice happened all the time. And so in his mind, and and that was, of course, viewed as one of the biggest sacrifices you could give a god or goddess, was you sacrifice your child. So Micah's saying, what if I went to that extreme? And his answer is, no, that's not going to impress God. No. Keep reading. He has shown you, O mortal Oh, punny little weak human who's trying to come before God. God has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What I want to propose to you today is that the very thing that God says, this is what will matter to me. God says that. It's right in Micah. That this might be one of the best places for us to look today in how do we find success. A meaningful life. A life that works. And there's three things that Micah lists there. And I just want to go through and touch base on each one for a little bit. But I want to start at the bottom and work up. Because I believe it's at the bottom that is the foundation, the building block for the other two. And so I want to start at the bottom. To walk humbly with your God. Because that's the way we're going to be able to act justly and to love mercy. The thing that Micah recognizes, the thing that God is saying is life is not going to work without God. And somewhere we need to face that, and I understand there's countless people today that are trying to say life can certainly work without God, but it won't. Some of you have tried, and there's lots of other people who are trying today, but the bottom line is we're not in control of the universe. We're not in control of our own lives. We can't control circumstances around us. We can't explain what's happening. And we certainly can't be an anchor or a rock in the face of a storm. We need God. And somewhere we have to come to that point, hopefully before our life is totally crashed and burned. But at some point we need to realize, I don't have all the answers. I can't handle life I need God in my life. And it's not just that I know God or I acknowledge that He exists. What does Micah say? To walk humbly with. I don't only know God, I walk with Him. I immediately jump to the Garden of Eden and what do we read? In the cool of the evening, God came to just be with Adam and Eve. Now, they'd already bailed and sinned, but that was God's desire to come walk together through life. We talk about it all the time, but I can't avoid it. It's not just knowing God and acknowledging Him. It's having a relationship with Him. That I do know Him, and when the storms hit, I can talk to Him, and I have a sense He's going to listen. Because I know Him. And I know about him, and I know how, what makes him tick. I know where his compass is heading so I can align my compass. I know him so when, again, as Russ said, the storms are so bad I can't see the hand in front of my face. I can grab for him, and I know he's there. Because I've grabbed for him enough. I know he's there. That's walking humbly with your God. And it's not only walking with him in that sense of a relationship. The third word that Micah puts in there is humbly. Which is sort of that, okay, I'll listen. I don't have all the answers. You're God, I'm not. You're smarter than me. I better listen to you. And that's a a big thing we're wrestling with in our day. Because the trend today is I get to call the shots. I get to design my own God. I decide what's in God because I'm the one in charge. Now, we won't say it that way. But how many people will tell you what they've decided God is like? Well, guess what? You can't create the universe and you don't get to vote on who God is. And as one writer said, if you get to vote on God, I don't want your God. Because we would design a pretty pathetic God. He'd also, you'd usually look like ourselves. That's a really scary thought. But the reality is, I've got to accept God as He is. And I've got to accept God where He is. And if there's somebody that's wrong, it's me, it's you. If my values don't line up with His, I need to change my values. If my priorities don't line up with His, I need to change. I need to be humbly walking with my God. It's the only way he can help us find that meaningful life. If we're vetoing God, if we're ignoring God, if we don't even know him, he can't become that foundation under our lives. It's no wonder Micah said, what do you want to do? Walk humbly with your God. That's how you begin to make life work. Then we can go up a phrase. To love mercy. People matter. Mercy is about other people. That's what it's all about. And people matter not just as tools to my success. Not just as numbers on my Facebook page so I can have a bigger count of friends. Not for what they can give me, they can do for me. No, no, this is way beyond that. This is realizing that people matter and that I need to care about them. Because the truth is people help us find a meaningful life as we get the focus off of ourselves and onto them. Mercy is about what you need from me, not what I'm going to get from you opening our eyes to what's going on in their lives. One of the scariest things I find anymore, think of your conversations. And how many conversations have you had at a coffee shop or over lunch or with a friend or whatever, and they never ask how you're doing? It's all about them. And you walk away and you think, you know, they never even asked me how I was doing. We are living in a self-absorbed age. And if we're not careful, it's a virus that we catch without ever intending to. But part of what God helps us see is the value in getting our eyes off of ourselves and caring about others. How are they doing? Isn't that how God has lived? He didn't do this for His sake. He did that for us. He is a God who cares about others, and He asks us to be like Him. To get our eyes off of ourselves and see people for the value that they have in themselves and care about them and what's going on in their lives. And as we learn about them and build those relationships, we show them mercy. We don't treat them as they deserve. Because in getting to know people, the truth is they're not always going to be nice. I always say the best thing about the church is the people. And the worst thing about the church is the people. Because in any relationship, the truth is people aren't always going to be nice to us. And when we're little children, we want to respond with vengeance and, and get, our, get it back. But part of growing up, based on driving today, a lot of people aren't growing up. Part of growing up is to realize you don't treat people like they treat you. You don't always treat them like they deserve. You show them mercy. You're known as a person of kindness. A person of patience. A person who turns the other cheek, as Jesus said. Because you see, it is partially in that showing people mercy that we find the blessings of relationships. And they end up blessing us back because we first Bless them. We showed them love and mercy. Well, that brings us to the third and first phrase. To act justly. That there is a concept of right and wrong. That we have a knowledge of truth. And we're committed to that truth. I continue, and I know you're going to say, Jim, you harp on this. There's just some things that when you miss, they mystify you. You just, I don't get it. And the popular notion of postmodernism that we get to all vote on truth is just like, what? That sounds so, I don't know, lofty when you hear two people talking about, well, that's truth for you, but I got to decide my own truth. Try that with gravity. Uh, Try that with any of the physics that run the universe. It is not up for a vote. And, And the truth is, truth isn't up for a vote. North is always north. And somewhere to act justly, we recognize the fact that there are truths in this life and we need to learn them and we need to listen to them and we need to follow them. And that's how we live a just life. Whether that's values, whether that's morals, whether that's good and bad, right and wrong. And that we have chosen to be committed to those. We need a moral compass for our lives. And that's why I started with the third line. Where do you get that moral compass? It's not the latest survey from a university. It's not the the latest Facebook posting poll. A moral compass is found in the God of all truth and his word. And that's part of why it is so important that we have that word and we read it and we know it. Because it's where we're going to find this moral compass that enables us to know what is true north. And we listen to it. I read a fascinating thing. There's actually a process coming. You'll find out how sermons are preached. There, there is a, a parenting series of sermons coming this fall. It's based on a book, The Collapse of Parenting. Um, But he has an interesting concept in there that, again, goes counter to our culture. And that is, how do you learn values? How do you learn values and transmit them to your kids? And the, the popular myth today is you wait till your kids feel like it. I mean, I shouldn't tell my kids my values. They need to decide for themselves. And when they feel like doing the right thing, they'll do the right thing. And they may have to take a few detours. But the author, through a bunch of research, he's a PhD and a medical doctor, says you don't wait till you feel values to do values. You choose right and you do it, whether it feels like it or not. And over time, if you keep doing the right thing, it will become what you feel like doing. But it doesn't work to flip that. And you see, that's what this first line is about. I choose to act justly because God has said, this is how life works. Live in this way. This is what marriage looks like. This is what the truth looks like. This is how you behave in a business. This is the right way to live. And the more you do that, you're going to feel like doing it too. But whether you feel like it or not, you say, I choose to act justly. I choose to live the way God wants me to live. Because he's God, smarter than me. His word has endured for thousands of years, so I had to listen to him. Not what I feel like doing. And that is when I will act justly. And that is when I will love mercy. And that is when I will walk humbly with my God. And what I would propose to you today is that will lead me and all of us to a life where we will say, this has been a good life. I have followed a compass. I've had blessed relationships in my life, and I've walked with God. And whatever details come out of that life, whatever jobs I have, wherever I live, however much I earn, I would propose to you that is a life where I will look back and say, I was a success. I'm glad I had the life I lived. Because I did those things. Now, just a real cool thing to close. I think Jesus was answered the same, asked the same question. How do I make sure my life works? How do I make sure my life is a success? I'm putting the words in a young man's mouth, but I think that's what he was really asking. And I want you to see the answer Jesus gave. Teacher, What is the greatest commandment in the law? How do I make sure my life's working? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets are wrapped up in those two commands. Do you see the parallel between Micah and this? Jesus didn't change the answer. Love God, love others, do the right thing, and life will work for you. And all the other detailed rules are wrapped up in those two concepts. That's success. And that's what we need to be aiming for, and that's what we need to be pointing our young people towards and not let them be confused about any of the other things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for offering us truth in a world at times that is so confusing and is just a gray fog. We need to hear your truth. We need to think about what real success is and what it means and how to get it there. And I thank you that your word is practical enough to point the way. Give us the courage to be different from the people around us who are still confused. And running after money or popularity or career or whatever. Even though we know it's no guarantee of success and happiness. Give us the courage to seek you. And to love mercy. And to act justly. In your son's name.